Welcome to our podcast. I am Linda Messer. My husband Ron and I invite you to join us in our weekly broadcast of A New Voice of Freedom. Welcome to Season 5 of A New Voice of Freedom, written by Ronald Keith Messer. This podcast is part of a series we call Stories of the New Testament, an appendage to a series of books written under the banner In Defense of Christianity. Podcast 27, Heaven, Part 3, concludes our discussion on the use of the terms heaven in the book of Matthew. The first principle of the gospel is faith. Heaven is invisible. God is invisible. It requires faith to believe in God and in heaven. Christ condemns those who wish to bypass faith. Science, which excels in revealing temporal laws, has done a miserable job whenever it dabbles in spiritual things. Science refers to the accidental universe. Science dismisses intelligent design. Science dismisses anything that cannot be proven in a lab. Science has removed God from the discussion of the origin of earth and man. Therefore, Christ dismisses those who seek for a sign. The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came, and tempting desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. The irony, of course, is that the Apostle Paul uses heaven to teach about the kingdoms of God as discussed earlier. If the Pharisees and Sadducees cannot see the sun, the moon and the stars as evidence of God and of intelligent design, they are not going to believe any other signs from heaven either. They are like the people of Capernaum. More miracles were performed there than in any other city, yet they rejected God. The tremendous irony of the following dilemma is the contrast between the disciples of Jesus and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees and Sadducees wanted a sign from heaven. The disciples assumed that Jesus was the Christ and thus Lord of heaven and wanted to know who was greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Reading between the lines, however, there is more to their question. They are joggling for power. Let me refer you to the time that James and John came to Jesus asking to be able to sit on his right hand and on his left. Mark ten thirty-five through 45 And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? They said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand in thy glory. But Jesus said unto them, Ye know not what ye ask. Can you drink of the cup that I drink of, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, We can. And Jesus said unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I am baptized withal shall ye be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. 
And when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to him, and saith unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. The same question appears to be on all the apostles' minds. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever, therefore, shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you, that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father, which is in heaven. Even so, it is not the will of your Father, which is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. The above distinguishes the difference between how man looks at power and how God looks at power. As the two great commandments illustrate, God's kingdom is based on pure love, not on positions of power. Where pure love exists, there is equality. That creates another tremendous paradox. Because, as we discussed earlier, there is not equality in heaven because of the various degrees of glory. The answer, however, is rather simple. The key is agency. We determine how much light, truth, knowledge, and power we have by the laws we obey. God wants all of his children to have everything that he has, but they must choose for themselves. Some choose not to inherit the celestial glory by not humbling themselves as a little child. In the following, we are taught another principle. Again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. The above verse is followed with the following. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. That is certainly a great argument for regular church attendance. When we think of God the Father, we naturally associate his name with heaven. The terms Heavenly Father and Father in Heaven appear inseparable. Putting John 3:16 and 17 aside for a moment, it is hard to find a more touching example of our Father's love than in the following. So likewise shall my Heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts Forgive not to everyone his brother their trespasses. That illustrates for me the greatest of Christ's atonement. Christ, while nailed to the cross, asked the Father to forgive his enemies, for, said he, they know not what they do. Our Heavenly Father is essentially asking us to do the same thing. The paradox of life is that when you forgive your enemies, you are healing yourself. You are not 
healing your enemies. Except in cases where your enemy asks for forgiveness, your forgiveness often has no effect whatsoever on your enemy. They still must answer to God. And many hardcore enemies would spit in your face. To forgive your enemies does not mean to put yourself in their power. It does not mean that you must correspond with them. In most cases, that would be terribly unwise. Common sense often demands that you distance yourself as far as you can from your enemies. It also doesn't mean that they do not have to answer to the laws of the land. Frequently, that is the only way to stop an enemy. Vigilantism and revenge, however, are never the answer. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. But still, in our hearts, the faster we forgive them, the better for us. Hatred, bitterness, and desire for revenge hurt us and seldom do any harm to the enemy. Christ often compares the kingdom of heaven to little children. That really is a powerful image. It is an innocent place entirely void of guile. Again, look at the paradox. Those who inherit the celestial kingdom will have been those who suffered greatly on earth. They would be streetwise and very experienced. It is knowledge and wisdom, not things that go with you to heaven. Yet in an atmosphere of omnipotence and omniscience, there is the innocence and pure love of childhood. It is hard to imagine. But Jesus said, Suffer, little children, and forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. We must only look at the qualifications to get to heaven to imagine the sort of people we will meet when we get there. Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give it to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. On earth we are separated by wealth, power, position, and opportunity. In heaven those things don't matter. Then Jesus said unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. Christ always saw through hypocrisy. He never lost an argument because he was always a step ahead. It is delightful to hear him respond to the most learned of the Jews. For example, when the chief priests and elders came to him in the temple and challenged him with the following question, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? Christ does not answer them directly. He prefaces his answer with the following. And Jesus answered and said unto them, I also will ask you one thing, which if ye tell me, I in likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, whence was it? From heaven or of men? The chief priests and elders understood the law of Moses and the theocratic government with its hierarchy. Their authority came from traditional methods practiced for hundreds of years. They sought to entrap Jesus with what I am sure they felt was an airtight argument. Christ caught them in their own trap. And they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, Why did ye not then believe him? But if we shall say, Of men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. And they answered Jesus and said, We cannot tell. And he said unto them, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. The argument of the chief priests and elders was diffused. They were afraid to answer. We learn much by individually looking at the references to heaven. 
The final objective is to put heaven as our primary goal. Christ commanded, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. In the following, Christ does three things. One, he places the Father above everything. Two, he curses those who block others from seeking heaven. And three, he shows reverence for his Father's kingdom. One, and call no man your Father upon the earth, for one is your Father, which is in heaven. Two, but woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. 3. And he that shall swear by heaven, sweareth by the throne of God, and by him that sitteth thereon. It is ironic that the Pharisees, whose ecclesiastical responsibility is to bring people to God, actually shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. Christ would condemn anyone who would limit the number of those who could enter heaven or who would be a stumbling block to any who were striving to live worthy to go to heaven. It must have been a shock for the Pharisees to learn that they were not candidates for heaven because of their pride. This came shortly before his crucifixion. It merely added fuel to the flames of the hatred they felt against Christ for undermining their authority. We shall conclude this series on the discussion of the term heaven by appealing to the last days as described in 24th chapter of Matthew. It is to heaven that we look for the signs of the times. 1. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the power of the heavens shall be shaken. 2. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. 3. And he shall send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. 4. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Christ announces his own second coming. Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. In an ironic twist, the second coming of the Savior was echoed in the upheaval of the earth following his crucifixion. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door, and sat upon it. It is clear from the number of times phrases such as heaven or heavenly, or kingdom of heaven, or kingdom of God were used, that Christ wants us to focus on heaven. The Apostle Paul drew our attention to the sun, the moon, and the stars. Christ himself said, Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast.